welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast, episode number 98. My name is Christopher Luft. I'm one of the co-founders of Lima Charlie, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we're going to be chatting with the one and only Matt Bromley about some cutting-edge intel coming out of the Lima Charlie community Slack channel. It's another week, another set of bad actors, malicious files, and compromised systems. On today's show, we're going to be talking about some of the cutting-edge intel being shared by our awesome community in the Lima Charlie Slack channel, and a huge thank you to all those folks who take the time to share their knowledge with the rest of us. If you enjoy listening in on these Intel chats and aren't in our community Slack channel yet, then you should join the conversation. Much more information than we can get through on this show is being shared there, and you will get it in real time. You can join the Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. And as always, for these chats, I'm joined by the one and only Matt Bromley. How are you doing today, Matt? Hey, Chris. Great to see you. Doing fantastic. I cannot complain in my little part of the world. It is absolutely beautiful weather today, so I'm happy. I'm excited sun is out. I know you all can't see this, but I can see it. The sun is out and it's uh, gorgeous. So I'm looking forward to, uh, I don't know, doing something in the sun a little bit later away from the cold snap that we've been having for the past few weeks. But that has nothing to do with Intel, but I'm doing fantastic, sir. All right on. That's great to hear. And yeah, up where I am too, we just kind of went through our uh, two weeks of annual snow and I'm starting to think about uh, starting things for my garden in the spring. So there we go. That's right. Good time of year. Okay, here we go. Uh, the first one I have here is a follow-up from the Microsoft breach we talked about last week. To refresh everyone's memory, Microsoft made a disclosure on January 19th that Russian state hackers known as Midnight Blizzard had used password spraying to exploit a weak credential for logging into a legacy non-production test account that did not have MFA enabled. From there, they somehow acquired the ability to access email accounts that belonged to senior executives and employees working on the security and legal teams. And then last Thursday, they updated the public on their findings. Apparently, the threat actors were able to gain persistent access to the privileged email accounts by abusing the OAuth authorization protocol. After compromising the test tenant, Midnight Blizzard used it to create a malicious app and then assign it rights to access every email address on Microsoft's Office 365 email service, which gave them access to all the mailboxes. After this information came out, security researcher Kevin Beaumont correctly pointed out that for this app to be able to assign the rights to access every email account, it would need admin privileges. Last week, we talked about the need to have a decommissioning process in place so you don't end up with errant test instances sitting around waiting for someone to find them. But I think this week, the lesson is that chmod777 is never the right answer. You should always be working with the principles of least privilege, and there's just no way that a test account should have admin credentials for prod. What are your thoughts on this, Matt? Uh, Chris, did did we not kind of call this out last week where we talked about how does an account, and I'm not saying we predicted this, uh, however, did we not kind of say and talk about last time how, you know, some of the details here just don't add up, right? A legacy test account out there, blah, blah. And I remember being like, there's just something about this sentence that just doesn't make any sense. I don't have my exact words, but I'll have to go find them and, and see what's going on there. But you know, I, I, I think the, the more we learned about it, and I, I do remember saying this last week too, it, it's, you know, at this current point, right? And I think you and I had both commented that we'll likely find out more as, as time goes on. Um, in fact, not to reminisce too much, but I think I remember saying we may not ever know the full details, <laughs> but uh, apparently now we do, right? Uh, where they did come full out with exactly what happened here. And I, I think it just goes to show, and it's definitely a reflection on, you know, 
you, you've, you've got to decommission accounts properly. Uh, you've got to shut things down. The, the fact of the matter is the more and more I read about this, the more things like the words legacy, grant, and other types of authentication-related or authorization-related things come up. And it may have just been a misconfiguration at some point, but you know, unfortunately, the community is too smart and realized, uh, hold on a second, how the privileges needed to do this thing are much higher than, than you know, like, let, let's... Let's be careful of the underlying assumptions here, right? Uh, the adversary was able to blah. Well, they were only able to blah because they had permissions to blah. So let's be very clear and say what the permissions were up front. And I'll just resort back to my earlier thoughts, which were th- this probably shouldn't have been out there. Uh, if it was necessary, it should have been shut down when they were done with it. Uh, but, you know, and I'm, I'm quoting from the blog here, uh, the threat actor then used the legacy test OAuth application to grant them the O365 exchange online full underscore access underscore as app role. Let's be very clear in that sentence. Legacy test OAuth application. Those words should not be together in a production facing breach, compromise, diagram, documentation, anything. And not to call anybody out, I don't have a person to throw shade against. Uh, I think lots of organizations have been in this situation. This is a good wake-up call to go through and lock down, decommission, shut down those things that are no longer needed anymore. Chris, I'll, I'll throw a, a personal uh, anecdote in here, which I went through and I had to rectify. Uh, I've gone through and I've reviewed multiple products and and platforms over the course of my career, over the course of building things where we're at here now. And it was a few years ago, but I started getting emails that uh, were saying, you know, so-and-so user has been granted access to the platform. So-and-so user has been granted admin access to the platform. And I was like, I haven't, I haven't accessed this particular thing in years. Why on earth would I start to be getting emails about users being granted access and then admin users, right? It's not really a thing that you inform users of. You know, you don't email your entire user base to say, hey, you have a new admin, right? It's not like the new principal comes to school and everyone's got to know their name and stuff. And I went back into the application that I hadn't been in for maybe two, two and a half years, used my old credentials from two and a half years ago, got right in single factor, was placed into the new upgraded UI that everyone had been grandfathered access to as a result of, again, kind of having a previous account that was in there and found that I had been upgraded to an admin on this particular instance. Now, I will be very straight up and say it was a demo instance for the purposes of testing a particular product and walking through. The only thing I had access to was test data, but I did have the ability to add shutdown accounts, manipulate things as much as I wanted to, simply because my information had just been carried through a a series of changes. Uh, The company acquired, or I should say the original company that I had tested, acquired another one had integrated them in and then had completely revamped their platform about three weeks before my discovery here started. Throughout that whole process, there was no point where someone said, wait a second, do we even need these accounts anymore? And I definitely emailed out and I was like, hey, I don't think I'm supposed to be in here anymore. My account was shut down the same day. Oh, our bad. You know, we didn't mean for that to happen. And it's like, you know, that process right there is one that you would think would would be an assumption would be something that would be taken care of and would done so my you know my short answer to wrap up the very long answer here is 
shut those things down, decommission these accounts and protect yourself because you never know who's going to get access to this. You know, it could be someone's random disgruntled employee. It could be midnight blizzard. It could be an innocent, you know, white hat hacker out there on a bug bounty quest. You never know. Just be careful. Yeah. And there's definitely a pattern to these big disclosures. You know, as you mentioned, like we knew there was more information coming <laughs> after the initial disclosure because we did everyone like this, you know, they kind of put the minimum that they have to out there. And then as the investigation goes on, it's, it almost never gets better. It's I, always I feel worse. like the more of these we do, we're getting better at reading between the lines. And I'm going to go back after this and watch exactly what our words were about this one, because I'm pretty sure we gave some forward looking. We're either going to know or not know. And we yeah. may never know. However, something seems amiss here. So, uh, you know, hats off to us uh, a week a, a week <laughs> younger, knowing what we knew. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one is coming to us from Hacker News, and it's a bit of a doozy. Uh, cybersecurity researchers have discovered a loophole impacting Google Kubernetes engine, or TKE, that could be potentially exploited by threat actors with a Google account and used to take control of a Kubernetes cluster. This critical shortcoming has been codenamed Sys colon all by cloud security firm Orca, and as many as 250,000 active GKE clusters in the wild are estimated to be susceptible to the attack vector. Researchers state that the vulnerability likely stems from a widespread misconception that the system colon authenticated group in Google Kubernetes engine includes only verified and deterministic identities, whereas in fact it includes any Google authenticated account, even outside of the organization. And yes, you heard that right, any authenticated Google account. Essentially, an external threat actor in possession of a Google account could misuse this misconfiguration by using their own Google OAuth 2.0 bearer token to seize control of the cluster or follow-on exploitation such as lateral movement, crypto mining, denial of service, and sensitive data theft. Following responsible disclosure to Google, the company has taken steps to block the binding of the system colon authenticated group to the cluster dash admin rule in GKE versions 1.28 and later. Google has also built out some detection rules and is recommending users to not bind the system colon authenticated group to any role-based access control rules, along with a few other recommendations. Matt, is this why we can't have nice things or simply the case of some poorly written documentation? You know, Chris, I'll be honest, because we learned about this after the fact, I'd probably have to go to the Internet Archive to see what was there before to see if this was ever clearly called out. You know, uh, this may have been a situation where and and I'm kind of thinking hypothetically here. I don't I don't believe that when these permissions or these clusters of permissions and ACLs were designed and put in place, that there was someone who was like, you know what, I'm going to open this up to everybody. And they just did it, right? I don't think that was the case. It may have been an, an accidental checkbox or a misunderstanding in the developer cycle or, or something along those lines. I don't think it was any inherent maliciousness, at least I hope not. Um, if it was, then then wow, right? <laughs> that thing persisted for a little while. Uh, I, I will give credit to Google, and, and this has been pretty consistent every time you and I talk about Google being involved in some way, shape, or form. Uh, they were very quick to turn around detection rules thrown into event threat detection as part of Security Command Center, a bunch of different recommendations dropped in, security bulletin. I mean, they, they kind of got way ahead of this and went out and, and you know, were very upfront about what was going on here in coordination with their vulnerability rewards program and, and things like that. 
there was a necessary hat tip over to Orca Security. I'm hoping that what we discovered here was a, you know, security firm discovered something, found a way to take advantage of it and exploit it, responsibly disclosed it, and then it was responsibly shut down too. I, I really hope that this isn't one of those situations where four, six months from now, you and I are like, hey, remember that, uh, remember that GK, G- GKE thing? Guess what? Here we go. Uh, and now the one thing I will note where, which is always a bit of an interesting one for me is if you go through and you read uh, Orca Security's January 24th research blog where they talked about some of the things that they were able to do, where I, I want to make sure folks go through and read and understand correctly here is, at least as far as I can tell, the examples and screenshots and technical breakdown that they provided are all hypotheticals. Look what could have happened if someone did a thing, you know? Um, they talk about uh, exposing misconfigurations in a publicly traded company. They talk about getting access to JWT tokens, uh, API keys, OAuth credentials, private keys, so on and so forth. I read through this as here are some of the things that can be done. We are a responsible company. Therefore, we went and kind of tested this out. Of course, I'm always going to throw the caveat out there to anyone and everyone that ever defines and discloses a vulnerability. Be careful where you poke and you prod just because you never know you might accidentally hit the wrong, you know, you might actually hit the or poke the wrong company or the wrong entity and it turns into something a little bit worse than you thought. But I read their blog post, very informative, awesome screenshots, very technical. I definitely recommend folks check this one out. I read their blog post as here are things that could have happened. Chris, I, I hope we don't hear about this actually happened in the wild. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see that in there, you know, uh, looking through, I didn't see evidence of a threat actor. So all in all, I'm hoping we had a pretty big potential security flaw that got wrapped up and patched and didn't have any long lasting effects. But you and I will probably find out in the next few months if there's a threat actor who had their infrastructure completely shut down as a result of this change. Yeah, I'd be very happy to learn this was just an academic exercise and got zipped up before anybody found it. I mean, you know, Orca did go through and host a webinar and talk about some of the different things and how they could help you solve it and stuff, which totally within their right to do. Uh, and and I think it's good. And, and I said that with a little bit of cheeky sarcasm, but I, I actually meant it as a little bit of credit because Orca's not out there, at least I'm assuming, not out there being like, everyone, look at these new zero days we've got, or, or what, you know, whatever the case. Look at this misconfiguration we got here. Um, come check it out. And Google's like, whoa, 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 hold up. What are you talking about? Right? It was very much delivered in, and we talked about this, I believe, last week as well. It was very much done in a responsible manner. I'm always a fan of when it's done responsibly and handled the right way. And then for a security firm to come out and talk about it in a retrospective manner and then say, this is how we help you get better. I I love seeing that. So if that is the takeaway, if that is the byproduct of this, then I'm all for it, right? I want to see the awesome stuff that you guys did. I do not want to read about a threat actor, you know, having taken advantage of this for years or something. And the next thing we know, right, you and I are up here talking about how some Russian APT was using this thing for years and gained access to whatever, whatever, whatever. And then the next thing you know, you know, a million citizens are at risk or something like that. You know, I'd rather keep it to this firm found a thing, got some awesome, awesome press out of it, did some really cool technical stuff. And hopefully that's as far as it goes. So in summary, an academic exercise, best result we can hope for. 
Yep. Big hat tip to Orca Security. Good work, folks. All right. The next one is an interesting technical breakdown by Ariel David Purr. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, who has written a Medium article about Net Support Rat, which includes some new IOCs. He's reporting that this campaign used phishing emails to distribute the malware and used legitimate services to bypass email protection systems. Apparently, the malware was able to evade the EDRs that were in place, but I didn't see any details around that. Essentially, the user is phished by an email. In this article, it is a click-to-download click invoice lure, but it could be anything. Then as soon as they click the button, they are taken to googleusercontent.com, which uses open redirect to, re to send the users to the website from which the malware is downloaded. The article goes into a fairly technical breakdown of how the infection occurs and how the command and control is set up. It also includes a bunch of IOCs that could be used for writing custom detections. I think the technical breakdown on this one should definitely be interesting to anyone curious in how this attack chain works, but I didn't see anything that wouldn't be recognized by experienced defenders. Obfuscated JavaScript, PowerShell, it all seemed pretty familiar to me. Did anything about this one jump out at you, Matt? Not really, no, Chris. You hit the nail right on the head. We've talked about every single one of these techniques in one way, shape, or form over the you know past however many months or almost a year. And I think it just really boils down to someone glued the puzzle pieces together maybe in a different way that we hadn't seen before. I mean, reading through the blog post, and I've got it up in, in front of me here. I mean, there's, you know, registry key persistence and startup menu and scheduled task and net support remote sessions and uh, configuration files and bypassing via, you know, utilizing safe links and everything like that. I, I really think it's just a combination of some of the same techniques we've seen before, not to downplay the success rate of the malware or the technical walkthrough provided by the analyst. Uh, that I'm a huge fan of. Again, great screenshots, walkthrough, pointers, boxes, callouts. I mean, it was a great technical blog for sure. I do love the IOCs dropped in the end there as well. It serves as a really good way to kind of work up those different detections and you know, do a quick search for things. Uh, we got some SHA 256s in there. We've got, uh, oddly enough, the adversary's infrastructure uh, was available via an open directory on a web server and everything. I mean, I just, I love the level of detail and research that went into here. But I'll be very frank, Chris, and I think this is what you were leading towards as well. If there's anyone who reads this entire thing end to end and says, well, I'm never going to detect any of this, then we need to have a chat because <laughs> there's a lot of very noisy techniques in use here. Uh, they're not new IOCs in the world of malware. I think it's just the puzzle's been glued together a different way. Yeah, I was really kind of confused because in the opening couple paragraphs, he states that it, it managed to evade the EDRs, but then we see PowerShell, we saw registry keys, we saw the sort of normal places I think we would have detections in place. So uh, one, I'm curious what EDR he was running and uh, if there was anything that we missed in the article. Yeah, no, that was the first thing. As soon as I saw bypass EDRs, I was like, oh, let me get some coffee. This is going to be a really good read. <laughs> and then, it, you know, I, I, I did the lazy man search. I did a quick control F for EDR. It only shows up in the intro paragraph. So I'm not sure what <laughs> EDRs were, were, were bypassed here. Uh, I'm not seeing, you know, some of the keywords I was looking for, like, you know, Defender or different vendor names or things like that. So uh, if there's a follow-up possibility, we'd love to know what was bypassed or how it was bypassed and what settings were there. I will just go through again and say that I would be very surprised to learn that maybe beyond the initial entry vector, there was zero detections. Uh, I'm going to be like just completely upfront and just say, 
it's it's 2024 and and Chris I'll I'll call this out you and I can can probably have a, an entire episode dedicated towards this but folks it's it's 2024 if you've got an EDR that is unable to help you monitor scheduled tasks or schedule or monitor registry keys especially run keys and things like that if, if you're unable or services or other persistence mechanisms and let's just boil out and just say if in this day and age you are unable to get insight into or gain monitoring towards persistence mechanisms and an adversary creating a scheduled task is completely lost to your EDR technology, let's have a chat about EDR technology capabilities. Now, let me be clear. I'm going to back up here, right? I'm not saying every organization should be able to detect that. I'm aware we've talked about security industry deficits ad nauseum. What I want to talk about is if you are utilizing EDR, endpoint detection and response capabilities, and you are unable to detect persistence mechanisms, we need to have a chat because these are very straightforward things that you should be able to detect. So to the person who wrote this article, we'd love to know where the bypasses occurred and then how the other stuff was able to slip through as well. I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say the entry vector was probably what didn't get detected. There was probably an expectation that the fish would have been found and when it wasn't, that would lead to, oh, I bypassed EDR as opposed to I went completely undetected because there is no way, no way that this entire attack would go undetected to to, to an EDR, at least one that's been configured correctly. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Maybe we're just misunderstanding how I mean, that, they use they bits transfer. I mean, like this is, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like there I almost wondered if we were looking at someone testing MITRE attack techniques because there was so many of them called out in one place, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was kind of like, I, I'm just, I'm reading through the, the whole thing here, right? The, the, ob, the malware was obfuscated and pulled malicious encoded PowerShell detection stored on a public URL. Maybe that got by. The PowerShell command has C2 servers and uses bits transfer to download files from the attacker server. There's like eight detection rules right there, <laughs> just in that one yeah. sentence. So uh, you and I, were not throwing shade to the security analyst. I'm throwing shade to the adversary who decided to be as noisy as they possibly could in making this happen. All right. Uh, the last one I have for us today is a prickly situation for all involved. On January 20th, the Cactus Ransomware Group attacked a number of victims across varying industries. The attacks were disclosed on their leak site along with victim data. This group is particularly horrible in that they routinely put pressure on victims by releasing personal information about employees of the victim organization, which in the past has included driver's licenses, passports, pictures, and other personally identifiable information. The article also includes a copy of the ransom note that gets dropped on victim machines, and I want to include it here because it is ominous. Your corporate network was compromised and encrypted by Cactus. Do not interrupt the encryption process. Don't stop or reboot your machines until the encryption is complete. Otherwise, the data may be corrupted. In addition to the encrypted infrastructure, we have downloaded a lot of confidential information from your systems. The publication of these documents may cause a termination of your commercial activities, contracts with your clients and partners, and multiple lawsuits. If you ignore this warning and do not contact us, your sensitive data will be posted on our blog. It is in your best interest to avoid contacting law enforcement and data recovery companies. They can't help you with the recovery, will cause you more problems and expenses, and delay the return to normal work significantly. Besides, if you contact the police, we will immediately publish your data. 
we offer the best solution to the problem. To receive our decryption software and prevent disclosure of your sensitive information, contact us directly. A quick recovery is very important to keep your business running at full capacity and minimize losses. This is why you need to begin negotiations as soon as possible. By the way, if you don't contact us within five days, we will start publishing your data. Man, that is most certainly a hefty message to wake up to and just like really makes me hate these guys more than I already do, which is pretty high up there. And it seems we're probably going to see some more from these guys. In October of 2023, they had posted five disclosures on their leak site. Then in November, they increased that to 10 victims. And then there was a drastic increase in December to 30 plus victims. It seems like they figured out their process and have been very busy deploying the ransomware encryptor. The article I'm referencing goes on to outline some IOCs and TTPs used by the threat actors. It also offers a really great technical breakdown of how the actual encryption process works. And I think that's totally worth a read for anybody interested in the mechanics of ransomware. Uh, I'm curious about two things with this one, Matt. Is there anything in the technical breakdown that stood out to you? And have you ever seen any other groups using such aggressive tactics as to publish data on employee victims? It reminds me of how Scientology took on the IRS. <laughs> that's a that's a fantastic example right there. My goodness. Uh, so first things first, uh, did AI write that 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 ransom note? I mean, good, good lord, I've never seen so much use of uh, uh, so many <laughs> adjectives and, and adverbs all in one place just to say I've ransomed your data. You know, um, but no, I I don't want to say jokes aside because it's not a joke, but maybe inquisitive questions aside. Uh, from a technical perspective, uh, first off, can we just give Shadowstack RE like an amazing, you know, silent round of applause for an, a golf clap for an awesome, awesome walkthrough here? I mean, going through and just talking about how the, you know, how the different technical processes worked, how they went through and uh, identified and how the encryptor works. I mean, it's a really, really detailed walkthrough. So for anyone who's kind of like, well, where did you guys find about this? Go, go check out some of the stuff that they're publishing over there because it's an, uh, an awesome walkthrough. That being said, from a technical, you know, technical perspective here, uh, I, it's funny given the sheer diametric contrast between what we talked about just a few minutes ago to this here now, right? Uh, and I'm reading through the the key takeaways from this blog post about the cactus here. Uh, the use of, you know, encoded public key to hinder static analysis. So they're aware of how malware or reverse engineers go and do what they do. Uh, protecting their source code between May 2023 and December. Uh, utilizing uh, standard C++ constructs, including atomics for synchronizations and lambdas to compartmentalize functionality. I mean, let's be clear. Either the person reverse engineering this understood programming and or the malware author did as well, right? One of the two, um, because there's it, it's almost reads like a comp sci breakdown in some places, which was interesting to see. That being said, I, I do want to comment on the growth of the victims. And this is something that I want folks to be aware of when you hear about these take place. You know, Chris, there's a lot of times where we talk about uh, kind of widespread phishing campaigns or we'll comment or talk about an article where someone talks about you know, uh, hundred thousand emails sent out, and and what they're doing is they're looking at the email servers, kind of at the edge of things, if you will, that are all detecting the same thing simultaneously, and, and that's where you kind of come back and you're like, wow, you know, this this particular threat group or this threat actor or whatever kicked off a massive phishing campaign, and here are all the different technical indicators of said massive phishing campaign. 
The reason we highlight and bring those things to the surface is so that you can go and look and see, have I been hit by this massive phishing campaign, right? This is one of those instances where I have a piece of ransomware that I've written. I, you know, I, I name it cactus or whatever, and I want to try and spread this thing out as much as I possibly can. I'm going to go to, and you and I have talked about kind of the dark, you know, the, the, the black market of all this kind of stuff many times now. I'm going to go to someone who conducts these large phishing campaigns. and I'm going to say, hey, I know you sent out 500,000 emails over the past two months around the holiday time. How many of those landed, right? I want to buy access to 10, 20, 30, 40 of those. And I'm going to write those into my deployment and automation scripts. And I'm just going to hit my ransomware out really quick and really fast. And that's where you see these types of numbers jump up is, you know, I almost feel like if we were to kind of chart out or timeline or waterfall this group's growth, I would argue and say October, 2023, they had five disclosures on their leak site. November, they went up to 10, December, they're 30 plus. I mean, that's, that's, that's hockey stick growth right there, you know? five to 30 in a period of two months, it's kind of like, well, what did this group do during that time? Everyone up until October, 2023, they were testing alpha beta stages. It worked. Let's double our numbers in November. And then let's triple our numbers in December. I mean, if that doesn't make any marketing or or C-suite just absolutely in love with the economic side of it, I am aware of the what the business is. But that's planning, that's the business side of things talking about, all right, let's test this thing out. Let's roll it. Because if we go hard to the nails on in October, we're shut down by December. This blog post comes out in November, December, as opposed to January. We don't have time to gain that footing and gain that traction. And now here we are looking at this leak site with tons of disclosures over there. And what do they do with this particular, or what do they do you know, with this presence out there? They craft this super, really, and you might laugh at this, Chris, they, they craft like the world's most SEO optimized ransom note that there possibly <laughs> is, you know, just because if you go and read through this thing, right, it, it's kind of like a, a quick recovery is very important to keep your business running at full capacity and minimize losses. Well, if, if you're the right manager, you read that sentence and you're like, we need to pay. Look at the next one, right? Uh, if you contact the police, we will immediately publish your data. It might not be the same manager, but there's another manager out there who reads that and is like, oh no, what are we going to do, right? The police cannot help you with the recovery. It will cost you more and delay the return to normal business. I mean, it's, a, it's like a combination of AI, legally speak, and 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 thug, you know, mobster thug threats. Yeah. yeah, you know, just fear invoking thoughts there. Anyways, not to harp on this one too long, but I'll just say when I read this and when I saw it come together, I kind of looked at this as, as a, not a culmination, but definitely a progression of some of the different things that we've talked about when you put the whole ecosystem together. Now, I might be wrong. Maybe Cactus is the kind of originator and the, the mastermind behind all of this. Maybe they went from phishing to deployment to ransomware to encryption, nuts to bolts, and they're in charge of the entire thing. But when I read this, it felt a lot to me like this is where you someone launches a phishing campaign. They sell off the successful hits. A ransomware group comes in, takes advantage of them, goes and deploys, and boom, now they're out there. And then they're impacted victim list grows triple in the course of in the course of two months, which is obviously why we're here. From a technical perspective, 
I'm not going to say it was a, a, a well-written piece of malware. I do want to say the the folks over at, at Shadowsack did a great job of, of reverse engineering and spending the time to do this. Uh, there were a few things inside of the technical side of it that, that I, I did want to call out. You know, the adversaries did write in a few evasive techniques into the malware. Um, samples generating random text file names for the readme um, to get, you know, number of concurrent threads for the encryption thread pool. Uh, they go through and they drop different process evasion or process hiding techniques in there, which isn't always necessary and and may not evade, you know, the smartest of tools or the most experienced of eyes. However, where this becomes really useful when you go through and you hide your processes, I've often called this kind of the first layer of, of defense and the first layer of digital forensics, which is um, essentially in a lot of cases, uh, the IT help desk or, you know, uh, maybe a sysadmin or someone who's not really a security person. But hey, you know, my machine's running weird. Something's not right here. There's this process that's consuming a lot of CPU space or something. Chris, you and I have, have, have seen this happen time and time again, where we'll read through and it's kind of like, you know, this piece of malware just knocks the, the CPU cycles up to 100%. And that's an IT support call. That is not necessarily a security team call. So one of the initial layers of defense that, that malware like this goes around and subverts is again, that IT admin who's like, okay, let me remote in, right click, show me the task manager. All right, I don't see any malicious processes in here. Let's go ahead and you know hop over to see if it's this, if it's that, have you tried rebooting? And then literally you know, five minutes later, we don't have access to any of our data anymore. But that first layer of defense is, is usually what they're trying to get around and what they're trying to trying to work their way through. So again, you know, going through and, and seeing some of the different evasive steps likely says the adversaries probably, you know, wanted to drop a little bit of evasion in there and make it just a little bit harder to find. The other one that I wanted to call out was uh, the, and I'm going to go through here, getting a list of a handle of all different processes. And then there's, you know, I'm quoting Shadowstack here. Uh, they would go through and compare the processes to a, a, a blacklist of processes, in which case the process would have been closed. Again, another way to interpret that the adversary had some knowledge of potential security roadblocks going into this because they were like, I'm going to go through and, you know, shut these things down, or I'm going to go through and make it easier for myself to go through and do this. And then, you know, uh, hopefully I'm not describing this as advanced techniques, Chris, maybe just some evasion that was in here, but then we go like the opposite side towards the uh what i'm going to call the table stakes for ransomware they use vss admin to delete shadow copies <laughs> and i'm saying that with a little bit of sarcasm in my voice because that right there is detection 101 if you see that command running you need to alert on it in a sock i do not care if it ruins the sys admins day because they were doing something legitimate this is hallmark ransomware behavior deleting shadow copies I mean, that should have been, if nothing up until this point, that was your very first time to successfully 100% de uh, detect this piece of malware. So anyways, without going too long down the road, great walkthrough, great RE from the folks over at Shadowstack RE, loved walking through it. I think we saw some indications that the adversary was expecting some security hurdles in their way. They found some ways to work around them. But then we get down to really easily detectable mechanisms that, uh, you know, I would highly recommend folks detect on in the future, not just for this, 
but for every piece of ransomware and a lot of malware that comes down the line as well. There's a lot of one-to-many quick wins in, in this takeaway here. Awesome. Thanks for the breakdown, Matt. And thanks for joining me for another Intel chat. Big shout out to the Slack community for sharing these articles for us to talk about. And again, if you're not in our Slack community, you can join us and get the Intel in real time. Slack.limacharlie.io. Yeah, I look forward to it again next week, sir. Can't wait for it. Always a pleasure being here. And uh, thanks again, Chris. I'm going to go see what my words were about Microsoft last week. Okay. Take care, man. Take care. And that concludes this episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. You can access the intel we talk about on the show in real time and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie community Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode.